0: Welcome to The Greek Current, a podcast by Halk and Kathy Merini. I'm your host, Thanos Davelis. Greece, as Prime Minister Kyriakos Mitsotakis made clear in the United States last week, has taken a clear and decidedly pro-Western policy after Russia's invasion of Ukraine, offering not only humanitarian aid, but also arms to Ukraine. Recent polls, however, show that everyday Greeks remain wary of this position, viewing both the U.S. and Russia with skepticism. John Saropoulos, an independent journalist based in Athens and Al Jazeera's Southeast Europe correspondent, joins me to break down Greek public opinion on this issue and look at the questions it raises as Greece looks to address its key security concerns. John, great to have you back on our show.
1: Always good to be back, Thano.
0: John, why are everyday Greeks wary of the government's clear and decidedly pro-Western policy in response to Russia's invasion of Ukraine?
1: Well, the pro-Western position is an absolute standard of Greece since its founding as a state in 1832. Britain helped Greece become independent along with France in the Navarino battle in 1827. But the pro-U.S. stance, more surprisingly, has emerged as a red line that runs across the main political parties, the left-wing Syriza, the center-left PASOK, and the ruling conservative New Democracy. There is cross-partisan consensus on getting as close as possible to having the inside track in Washington, therefore being a loyal and constant ally, seeking American reassurances for Greece's security in return, hence greater U.S. investment in Greek as well as American military bases in Greece following the new defense agreements between Greece and the U.S. So that is an absolute cornerstone of the country's foreign policy. In fact, It was a left-wing government, Syriza, which started the strategic dialogue between Greece and the US. And it was Syriza which started the negotiation for the new mutual defense cooperation agreement, which was signed in 2019. But this political position of the country's political elite is at some distance from popular opinion, which is more wary of US intentions and NATO. And the reason, quite simply, is the invasion of Cyprus in 1974, which was allowed to happen by Henry Kissinger, then all-powerful Secretary of State and National Security Advisor, and was allowed to go even further in the Attila II phase in August, which reached Famagusta. As far as the Greeks are concerned, there's no way that the US wasn't apprised of these plans and enough pressure wasn't exercised against Turkey to prevent them. That is the great Greek grievance, with the United States, and why Greece doesn't place its trust entirely in NATO for its security. But as I say, Greeks instinctively feel it's a good thing to have the Americans on your side, not NATO necessarily, where Turkey can always veto any motion, as it's doing now for the membership of Finland and Sweden. But stay close to the Americans, and if possible, get the inside track
0: in Washington over Turkey. There's been a clear parallel that's been drawn between Russia's invasion of Ukraine and Turkey's current revisionism in the Aegean and the Eastern Mediterranean and the invasion in 1974 that you outlined for us. How is this you know, informing the public when we look at polls about supporting sending arms to Ukraine or supporting the government's position vis-a-vis Ukraine?
1: Well, helping Ukraine has an obvious appeal to the Greeks because there's a parallel between the Turkish invasion of Cyprus and the Russian invasion Of Ukraine. They're both invasions of sovereign territory with the intent of holding it ad infinitum, in other words, annexing it. The Russians have been honest about that from the get-go. The Turks haven't. They are going through the motions of declaring a Turkish Republic of Northern Cyprus, but everybody sees that as a Turkish puppet and believes that it is ultimately destined to become an extension of Turkey. So it's the use of a racial minority in both cases to extend an irredentist and acquisitive foreign policy. The minus side for the Greeks of supplying weapons to Ukraine is that we are also, in theory, friends with the Russians. And even if we are not such great friends with the Russians as we are with the West, we ought, at least as a small and relatively weak country, to be wary of taking sides too clearly. So there's the balancing act that the Greeks traditionally want to do. Let's be on good terms with all major powers. Let's be on good terms with China. They have things to offer Greece. Let's be on good terms with Russia. Let's be on good terms with the United States. And in recent years, there's been a growing foreign policy pursuit of coming on to good terms with India, with Saudi Arabia, and other countries that Greece didn't really bother to talk to in the past. So there is a wariness there of being seen to openly side with one person over another.
0: Russia is also kind of clearly annoyed with this position that Greece has taken and the deepening ties between Greece and the United States. Its spokesperson, in fact, has been playing up the historic ties between Greece and Russia, especially Russia's role in the foundation of Greece as a modern state. Why is playing on these historic themes misleading, however?
1: Well, Russia does play up its relationship with Greece, and it does this in order to play on Greek public opinion, which has a semi-mystical belief in orthodoxy binding the Greek and Russian people in an unshakable bond of friendship. But if you look at the historical record, that hasn't always been the case. Yes, Russia was one of the three navies at the Bay of Navarino in 1827, which secured Greek independence by sinking the Turkish and Egyptian fleets along with Britain and France. But the Russians acted against the Greeks during the First World War when Greece launched its ill-fated Asia Minor campaign. At that point, there was a political upheaval in Russia. The Bolsheviks came into power in 1917, and they sided with Kemal Ataturk, and they supplied him most of his most important weapons that helped to defeat the Greeks in the end. Of course, it's not so often mentioned that the French and the Italians also sided with Kemal, maybe because it's in politic to do so now that we're in the same political bloc with France and Italy. The Russians didn't want to support the Greeks even before the Bolshevik Revolution, however, because if the Ottoman Empire was going to disintegrate, what they wanted was Constantinople and control of the Bosporus Straits for themselves. Therefore, they were directly in competition with the Greeks, who had a community of 350,000 people in the city, about a third of the city's population. And they, of course, for historical reasons, wanted the city back. It was the former imperial capital of the Byzantine Empire. Again, if you want to go back a bit, in 1770, Catherine the Great allowed the Orloff brothers to go and foment revolution against the Ottoman Empire in Greece. She didn't really support it. The revolt was a failure. It was put down very quickly. The Russian contingent, which was very small to begin with, fled. The Greeks were massacred by a marauding band of Albanians that had been hired by the sultan for that job. It isn't really a history of friendship between Russia and Greece. And even in the 20th century, Russia didn't back Greece's claim for its historic region of Macedonia. It was backing the rival claims of Serbia and Bulgaria as part of its pan-Slavist foreign policy. So it was essentially working against Greece while Greece was trying to secure control over its historical territories then as well. So really, the belief in Russian-Greek friendship is somewhat mystical, and it's based purely on orthodoxy and not really on history.
0: John, there's a worry which has been articulated by some in the main opposition, Syriza, about Greece being taken for granted by its allies as it adopts pro-West and pro-U.S. policies. What's driving these concerns?
1: Well, Syriza is concerned that, yes, we want to be close to the United States, but if you give yourself over too freely, then... You become an ally that's taken for granted and the United States actually softens on support for your positions. Yorgos Katrugalos, the former foreign minister of Syriza, with whom I spoke a few days ago, actually cited a couple of examples. One was that the United States earlier this year dropped support for the East Med gas pipeline that was to flow from Israel via Cyprus to Greece and then Italy. The other, of course, is the failure to record, at least on an annual basis, the airspace violations in the Aegean by Turkish F-16s. And I would add to that that the original East Med Act called for the Departments of State and Defense to produce within 90 days a list of potential further sanctions targets in Turkey by the United States if Turkey did not divest itself of the Russian-made S-400 surface surface-to-air missiles and if Russia did not cease and desist from encroaching on Greece's exclusive economic zone with survey vessels looking for oil and gas fields. And publicly, at least, we don't know if those sanctions targets lists were provided. The last time I discussed it with former Ambassador Jeffrey Pyatt here in Athens, he cited delays due to COVID, and that was in spring of 2021. So at that point, at least... Certainly, the Department of State hadn't produced any sanctions
0: targets. So the concern, John, then, is Mm. that it seems, despite Greece taking clear stances that are pro-West and pro-U.S., there isn't enough emphasis on Greece's security concerns, especially vis-a-vis Turkey, for example.
1: Look, in his exit interview, which was with the newspaper Kathimerini, Ambassador Pyatt was actually grilled on this point of U.S. security guarantees for Greece, which is the only question that really matters to the Greeks as far as the United States is concerned. And his answer was that NATO's Article 5, which is the mutual defense article, an attack on one member of the alliance is deemed an attack on all, is Greece's best guarantee of security. In other words, he's saying that if Greece is attacked by anyone, whether from inside the NATO alliance or not, the United States is committed to at least helping Greece with its security. The trouble with these reassurances is, A, 1974, when this didn't happen. Of course, the target then was Cyprus, but it's still part of the Greek space. And B, we won't know if this assurance is true until it's tested. And that's the way defense treaties always are.
0: John, a recent poll asked Greeks to pick a single dependable ally. And the top answer, it was not the United States or Russia, but France. What does this tell us about Greek outlooks for their own security? It's true that
1: France is enjoying a great buoyancy in Greek public opinion at the moment for two reasons. One is that France agreed to sell Greece cutting-edge frigates and the missiles that accompany them, which it pledged not to sell to Turkey. And that distinguishes France very importantly in the Greek mindset from, for example, Germany, which in 2009 sold cutting-edge submarines to the Greeks, and then a few years later turned around and sold them to the Turks as well. Of course, the United States also falls in this category, selling weaponry to both Greece and Turkey. The French have also signed a mutual defense treaty with Greece in October of 21 that binds France to come to Greece's aid and vice versa in case of an attack by an outside party, whether within NATO or not. This is the first intra-NATO defense treaty between two members that does not specifically make reference to the broader NATO framework. It doesn't make any reference to the NATO charter as an overarching treaty within whose framework Greece and France would operate. That is very important. The Greeks and the French are saying, we're just signing a mutual defense treaty that we feel we need, even though we are both members of NATO. And that says a lot about how they both feel about Turkey. There is a broader conclusion to be drawn from that. The NATO charter, whose article one says the parties undertake as set forth in the charter of the United Nations to settle any international dispute in which they may be involved by peaceful means so that security and justice are not endangered. That is no longer believed by the Greeks, because here are the Turks clearly putting every form of pressure they can on the Greeks in the East Aegean, disputing Greek sovereignty over both uninhabited and inhabited islands, disputing Greek airspace, territorial water, exclusive economic zone, search and rescue jurisdiction, and even air traffic control jurisdiction, and not trying to solve differences with Greece peacefully very evidently. So in contrast to that, you have... In the wake of the Ukraine invasion, the European strategic compass, which was voted in by all members earlier this year, which says tensions in the Eastern Mediterranean remain due to provocations and unilateral actions against EU member states and violations of sovereign rights in breach of international law. Here's the European Union, which is militarily not as organized as NATO, nonetheless, taking a very clear political position in favor of its member, Greece, and its member, Cyprus, and naming Turkey further down in that paragraph as the aggressor in those actions, that is a political basis on which the Greeks feel a foreign and defense policy can be built that will actually work for them. And that contrasts very sharply with NATO's position whenever airspace violations or other kinds of violations take place that the Greeks report to NATO. And nothing is done other than to have a discreet internal chat with Turkey. NATO has never taken a legal position on what is sovereign Greek territory or sovereign Greek airspace or water in the Aegean. And that irks the Greeks greatly. And it's another reason why they're putting more and more of their faith in mutual defense in Europe, or at least whenever political conditions make that possible.
0: John, thanks for joining us again on The Greek Current.
1: Thank you for having me, Zeno.
0: In other news, Turkey's President Erdogan said on Monday that Greek Prime Minister Kyriakos Mitsotakis no longer existed for him, adding that he will never agree to meet with him. In a televised address, Erdogan accused Greece of harboring followers of Fethullah Gulen and of establishing military bases against Turkey. He went on to accuse Mitsotakis of trying to block sales of F-16 fighter jets to Turkey during a visit to the United States. Responding to Erdogan's comments, Greek government spokesman Yannis Sikonomo said Athens will not get into a confrontation of statements with Turkey's leadership. He added that Greek foreign policy is strongly founded on history, international law, and our alliances, however much that may annoy some. Finally, the dispute over the Parthenon sculptures has deepened after Greece rejected a claim by the British Museum that much of the statuary, removed at the behest of Lord Elgin, was retrieved in the rubble around the monument. The assertion made at a UNESCO meeting last week added a new twist to the long-running cultural row and came only days after it emerged that the UK was willing to discuss Greece's demand for the Parthenon sculptures to be reunited with other treasures in Athens. Greek culture minister Lina Mendoni said Greece is prepared to enter into an honest and sincere dialogue with the United Kingdom in good faith within the legal framework and ethical context set by UNESCO's recommendations and decisions. That wraps up today's episode of The Greek Current. Thanks for tuning in.